center and coming in as Loub. He would like center net. From point blank range. You can put it in the lead column. Yeah, baby, yeah, baby, yeah, baby. This is Flames Talk with Pat Steinberg on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, let's get to it and let's welcome you to a Friday edition of Flames Talk. It is Friday, December 29th. It's Pat Steinberg along with you on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. And it's time for the Eric Francis Hour, brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta. The Alberta horse racing and breeding industry cares for their horses, employs Albertans, and contributes to the economy. Visit thehorses.com, 18 plus Please play responsibly. And now for the final time in 2023, we say hello to Eric Francis of Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. Hello, EF. How are we doing, my friend? I'm excellent, my friend. How are you? I'm doing well. It's good to uh, it's good to hear you, and I'm looking forward to another rousing hour. Um, you've been um, you, you've been hiding. I don't know where you've been. I haven't seen you at the the rink. The Saddle Dome's been very very tame without you. You you've been hiding. Where have you been? I've been hiding at the uh, Max Bell Arena. <laughs> I I spent the last three days at uh, watching the, the the Circle K Classic. I can't get enough of it. I'm I'm there with my boy. He loves it. Uh, I love it. You run into a million people in the hockey community who you've known for years, and uh, <laughs> and I th- I'd like to talk a little bit about it in the second half of the show. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but 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 it's funny. I just got a note from Ken Reed from Sportsnet in Toronto. And he says, I can't believe I'm reading stories from you about Mickey DuPont's kid and Jerome McGinley's kid. Like when Ken Reed was a Calgarian working for uh, a channel, uh, you know, those were the players we were covering. You know, Mickey, Mickey DuPont, you know, draft pick of the flames and Jerome McGinley. Now we're writing about their kids, man, we're old, but I won't lump you into that same category, but Kenny and I are old. And so we can talk like that. So, uh, Tell me a, a little bit. Well, you know what? We'll, we'll get into the Circle K Classic in a little bit because yeah, you know, you've been you've been we'll taking pictures of, of uh, some different things down there. The the Joe Aginla story is awesome, and uh, having Jerome there is pretty neat. So yeah, we'll we'll get into that for sure. Um, yeah, and some good talks with him. Yeah, that's good. That's uh, that's what I like to hear. Um, it is our final chat of 2023, so let's uh, let's maybe start the hour with. And, and, and take stock of, of where we are. And, and not so much you and I, because we're always on shaky ground. But where are the, uh, where are the <laughs> Flames Where are the flames heading into 2024? Like, where are you on this group as, as you take stock of the Calgary Flames as an organization and, and this team as it's assembled right now? How would you describe them, evaluate them, or, or I guess just kind of look at them heading into a new calendar year? I look at this team as a team on the precipice of a significant makeover. And I do think that this team is capable of staying in this playoff race right right until the trade deadline with the caveat that sometime in the next month, month and a half, they're probably going to lose three of their core players. And that will be hard for them to adjust to, understandably. You know, you're going to lose Tanev, you're going to lose Hannafin, you're going to lose Lindholm. I'm... I'm not 100% convinced you're going to lose all three. Um, but I'm not sure, Pat, that anything that happens between now and the trade deadline could change 
the way they're thinking as an organization about those three guys. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, to me, the one guy who's who's the who's for sure gone is is Lindholm, and I think he's the easiest one for people to say goodbye to. And I don't mean that on a personal level. He's a great guy, and and he's a hell of a hockey player. But yep. I just think for a guy who's your first line center, the production's not there this year. Uh, they need more from a first line center. Quite frankly, they do. They need someone who can help elevate Huberdeau. Um, if, if any, if that's possible, uh, they need, they need someone who's just can be a lot better in that number one slot than Lindholm. So I, and I don't mean to besmirch him in any way. I, I, that's not the intention. The point is, and would you agree that I think of the three, he's the guy who's the most logical to leave. He's going to get you the biggest return and it's time. It's just time. And I think that even he believes that as well. And so I want you to, you know, respond to that. Yeah. To a lesser degree, Hannafin. And then third, you know, I've, I've stated my case as to why I think it makes sense on some levels yep. to keep Tanev here to teach the young guys. I think a similar argument could be made for Hannafin. If you're going to be rebuilding, but you're also rebuilding with an eye on being competitive in the next couple of years, Hannafin's still going to be in his prime in a couple of years. He'd be pretty handy to have too. But the asking price and I just think there's a golden opportunity in front of this organization to make significant change. You and I have spoken about the fact that this is a very unique opportunity that this organization hasn't really faced in all the years that I've covered the team and all the years you've covered the team. And I think they have to, to follow through on that. So anyway, go back to Lindholm. Do you agree that it's the, he's the easiest one yeah. to kind of agree? It's time to say goodbye. Yeah, I do. I, and again, like you're talking to one of the, the biggest Elias Lindholm boosters there was. And if you... If you go back to the summertime uh, and and we were having the conversation about all these uncertain uncertain players, I was one of the ones pounding the table hardest about signing him and extending him and and hitting him with that eight year deal and and I was very much in favor of it and it didn't happen. They couldn't come to an agreement and now here we are and so. That didn't happen, and opinions change, and, and mine has in that, you know, the, the offense hasn't been there. I still think he is as high-end uh, uh, defensive center iceman and, and two-way center iceman that you're going to get, or, or not as high-end, but he's still a very, very high-end two-way guy, and his defensive responsibilities and that side of the game continues to be very, very strong and amongst the best in the league, but... We haven't seen that offense even to the same extent as it was last year. And I, I there are reasons for it. You know, you take Tyler Toffoli off of his wing this summer, the summer before. We obviously know the two guys that left the organization. That's going to have an effect on most guys. But, yeah, I, I think it's time. I think that he – it feels like he has started to realize that it might be time. Um, and I'm not saying that – he's playing like he's checked out or anything like that because I, I would push back on that all day. I still think there is a huge competitive fire in Lindholm. I still think he leaves it mm-hmm. out there every single shift. Um, and, and I still think he's given the flames really, really good minutes in a lot of ways. I, I don't, I don't get the sense that he's like, no, I'm checked out. I don't want to be here. I do think that the uncertainties hanging over him. And I also think the reason why I agree with you wholeheartedly, uh, Eric, is that, I think that he's the guy that it's just easiest to find multiple 
glove-like fits. Like Boston, absolutely. Colorado, all day. Could you find a spot? Oh, yeah. New Jersey, for sure. What about Dallas? Absolutely. Like, you, you could basically point to any potential contender and say, yeah, he'd fit perfectly there, especially as a guy to complement that really high-end number one center. What about Lindholm behind Eichel? What about behind McKinnon? Or what about behind Hintz? Or what? Like any one of these teams, oh, yeah. you're like, yeah, Lindholm would For be sure. perfect there as a number two guy. So yeah, long story short, I'm I'm absolutely with you. Yeah, and and you know, I I think an interesting debate could be had, but I'm not really interested in, interested in having it because I think it's irrelevant in Calgary as to what his market value will be this summer. You know, we've spoken of the fact that you know. Last summer, people were thinking that he's going to go out there and get more than $9 million a year, which people would look at now and and say, well, my God, well, if that's the case, see you later. Um, you know, the Flames, I think, offered him what I, my memories, $8 million a year times eight, I think the case was. I think that the Flames dodged a bullet on that one, to be honest. And, and not because he's a – again, this is not about – diminishing who he is or what he is but for what this organization needs right now and what he could bring this organization as part of a retool uh, i don't think there's any debate so so we agree on that that he's gone i think he wants to be gone i think everybody's ready for that to happen i don't not saying it's going to happen anytime soon but you know somewhere in the middle is hannafin and uh and and to a lesser extent uh tanev and and i didn't hear i just again i literally just came back from the circle k but you know, I'd be interested to hear what you think in terms of uh, the ask is, because I have my, having talked to a lot of different people involved, and I have my my understanding of what I think they're looking for for all three guys. Mm -hmm. I wonder if it meshes with you, because you and I speak to a lot of the same people, I think, in the organization and around the team. And I, I didn't, I, I caught just the very end where I think you, you were talking about it but I didn't hear what the actual price tags were going to be. Yeah, and I don't know if uh, we, we didn't necessarily get into like the the straight up price tags for each guy. I just I think that the one thing that I, I keep going back to, and I'd be curious if this meshes with with your intel and what you heard, is that yeah, they want high picks, absolutely, and and specifically with guys like Hannafin and Lindholm. I, I, I think first rounders are borderline non negotiable in what they're looking for, but Agreed. also. The, the young NHLer is something that I think Craig Conroy really puts a lot of importance on. And and so, you know, Sharon Govich may be a little on the older end of that, but if they could if they could get a 22-, 23-year-old player that has a lot of upside still and maybe hasn't hit his or come close to his peak but still has a ton of potential, they look at that as, as maybe just as valuable, maybe more valuable than a guy who is – you know, a prospect and is 18 or 19 years old. So I think, I think that is also something that they really prioritize and look at as, as a big ask. So that's just something I think that if you're a fan, you should be prepared for that. I, I think they really have a, a high importance on young guys who can step in and play now too. Well, they're going to need people in return that can step in right now, whether they're a, a core part of the future or not, that could be a gamble. But to me, the ask is pretty straightforward in terms of uh, 28 and 55, both for Hannafin and Lindholm. Uh, first rounder, I, well put. You know, it's a, it, it's borderline non-negotiable. I, I think any trade that comes back without either a first rounder in, in either case, I think will be heavily criticized. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, I, I think you're looking at a prospect for sure, like a, a, you know, a good solid prospect. I'm not saying a top prospect, but a really good solid one. And I think a serviceable NHLer who could step into the lineup and play the balance of the year with the team. It's a three pronged ask. And I, I, I don't think it's unreasonable for the flames to be asking that around the league. It's just a matter, I think, in a lot of cases, and I think probably teams understand that that's the ask. It's just a case of teams trying to figure out, you know, where that prospect lies. Is it their second best prospect? Is it their fifth best prospect? Yep. And can the Flames agree on what what level that prospect is at? So to me, you know, a first, a prospect, and an everyday NHLer, and you, you kind of allude to a guy that might be 25, 24, 26. I'm not putting an age on it. I'm putting it. I'm just saying that he's someone who's playing in the NHL right now. He could be in somewhere in the top 12. Doesn't matter uh, as long as he's playing every day. That's that to me is the the return because literally they're going to need bodies um, to fill those three spots. And I know they've got good young promising guys they want to see from the farm, but I still think that you're going to need some guys right away in this lineup who are potential difference makers now and and moving forward. And I also, I also think, you know, they, not that they wouldn't take back a really high end 18 year old, but I think, I think somebody who's maybe in the American league right now, who is a little buried on another team's depth chart, maybe not able to get into NHL action, but could get into NHL action on the flames is, is something they'd be really interested in. You know, there's, you know, I, I, I've thrown out the name um, a few times of, of Zellweger and Anaheim. He's kind of, I don't want to say languishing. He's actually thriving in San Diego with the American League, but hasn't been able to crack the NHL lineup. Is that a guy that, and Anaheim is maybe a bad example because that's not a contending team, but that's the type of player. Yeah. Or, you know, there's there's a couple of guys in Dallas that are quite interesting. And and that's the other caveat that I would throw back in is, is that if they can get like a high, high-end prospect who like is a full-on blue chipper, that's the only way I think that you gear down on the first round pick. Like if they were to get Stankoven from Dallas, for instance, because I think the stars are an interesting team. They're sure. a contender. If they could get a guy like that, who would kind of fill the role of that first round pick. I, I think that they would back off on needing a first rounder, but not a lot of teams are giving up that high quality of prospects. So that's maybe a little more unlikely. Yeah. And and don't forget the first rounders are going to be in every case they're going to be very late picks. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. You know they're not the sexy. Hey, we turned Joe Newendike into, and that's a bad example because it wasn't a draft. He was already drafted. But you know what I mean. It's not going to be a top five or top ten or fifteen guy. It's going to be a twenty eight, twenty nine sort of thing. So, um, you know, the Chris Tanev return is is interesting, and and I don't think. No, I mean, no one should expect a first rounder for Chris Tanev. I'm not, that's not, I'm not throwing that out there. I mean, if they could, that would be uh, a shocking home run. And I know people talk, throw out the David Savard and the, you know, those, those previous two trades where ben there was a first rounder involved for Ben Sherratt. Those are the two that everybody points to, but those were years ago. Um, and also when I would argue that first round picks weren't as valued as they are now. Mm-hmm. Uh, stemming from last year's draft when nobody wanted to move one of those picks before the draft. And I think moving forward, I think you're going to see more and more hesitancy for teams to move first rounders. So, and Chris Tanev just doesn't fit that bill for me. He's a second rounder at the minimum though, at the minimum and a prospect slash NHLer. So uh, it's a two person ask for me uh, on the Chris Tanev. 
and uh, and I I you know we hear every day about how people want Chris Tanev. I mean, obviously in Toronto, I think they've already I think they already bought an apartment for him. I'm not sure, but definitely uh, have that you know, jersey already christened. Yeah, yeah, for sure, and uh, and 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 it would be a good fit. Like the Leafs need Chris Tanev. He was he's the perfect guy for the Toronto Maple Leafs to to fill a massive gaping hole in an organization that hasn't had good defensive defensemen in 20 years like you know so he would be great but i don't know if they have the resources to make it happen and 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 again we all of this comes with the caveat that the calgary flames because they have retained the possibility of you know paying for some of these salaries to go elsewhere yeah um the 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 hall will be greater and there's no question you know talking to craig conroy that he's happy and willing to use that and pay half a salary for a guy to go somewhere else and in return get even more in return. So um, the return will be high. I really think, you know, you said we're heading into 2024. What should Flames fans be expecting? What should they be thinking? I really think that people that are Flames fans should be very optimistic right now. Optimistic slash excited because the excitement level that a guy like Connor Zari has, Zari has, has brought to this city is was surprising right nobody saw it coming Mm -hmm. it's it's been grander than anyone could have you know even fathomed the fact that he's an everyday nhler would have been happy people would have been happy but the fact that he's thriving and been one of their offensive drivers since he got here is stunning and and that that possibility is really exciting for people and i know that people are sad to lose these veterans but i'm not sure how sad anymore i think people in this marketplace have been resigned to the fact that yeah, we're probably going to lose two or three of those guys. But, man, if we could get another Connor Zary, that would be so exciting. So I, I think people are okay with this. Is, is that the general feeling you get from people? I know people have been, have been clamoring for a rebuild, retool, whatever you want to call it, for a long time. And I don't believe it's going to be a massive one, but I think it's going to be a significant one. It's not going to be the, the, the tear-it-down rebuild, but it's going to be a significant retooling of a, of a, of a roster that's going to have a ton of young faces in it next year or not next year. Well, next year, I mean, by the end of this year, uh, this season, by March, we're going to have a lot of young faces in that lineup. Yeah. And I, I I do think there's a healthy amount of excitement. And I think, I think there are, there are some flames fans. I don't want to speak for everybody, but I think there are some flames fans who have had their eyes opened a little bit to, you know, maybe there's more here than we thought. You know how there's always that, that feeling that, Oh, the, cupboards are bare and now all of a sudden Martin Pospisil looks like he can be a middle six NHL or in perpetuity at the NHL level for the next number of years. Zary looks like he's going to be a top six winger on this team for the rest of his time as a member of the flames. And we know Matt Coronado's coming. And while he's in the American league right now and not at the NHL level, He's putting up great numbers at the American League level, and I don't think there's any doubt in people's minds that he's going to be an NHLer and and a decently productive one. And Jeremy Poirier is coming, and there's Sam Honzek who's having a great World Junior so far with Slovakia. It's like, okay, maybe they have more here than people thought on the outside. And I even I even wonder if internally, Francis, if if Craig Conroy and that management group say to themselves, you know, maybe maybe there's a little bit more here than we thought. And maybe we can look at this as, as something that we have to build around more than we gave it credit for. And I think that's an exciting thing, too, because, you know, last hour we were doing a year in review and 
the reason for optimism, I, one of the topics we threw out was, what's the biggest reason for optimism that we've seen in 2023 that we can, that if you're a Flames fan, you can carry into 2024? And mine was the way Craig Conroy's gone about his business, his, his patience, his pragmatism, his ability and willingness to follow through on things he says publicly with action. And, and I think the approach and execution and, and overall vision of Craig Conroy this season and long-term to your point is something that you should be optimistic or could be optimistic and, and excited about. So yeah, I, I think that it it's, it may not be the new era that gives them the opportunity to draft Macklin Celebrini number one overall, but it is a very, very different approach. And the thing that, I don't know about you, but I go back to May 1st when Craig Con sorry, May, I think it was May 14th or May 17th or mid-May when Craig Conroy was introduced as general manager. And the thing that got the most feedback and the most attention on my Twitter timeline was when he said, we need to get younger and we're going to get younger on our NHL roster. And he's followed through with that. He's followed through with that in the first half of the season. And to your point, I think he's going to follow through with that even more as we move into 2024. Yeah. And listen, with the Wranglers being as good as they've been over the last couple of years, um, I do think people in this city have always believed that, you know, there is a good crop coming. Uh, why wouldn't you think that if, if your AHL team is doing as well as they are doing, and they're not doing it with veterans that are at the end of their careers, you know, career AHLers, they're doing it with the young guys. So absolutely, um, it stands to reason that the pipeline is, is better than a lot of people thought. And uh, it, it's, you know, I know that the biggest fear that any owner would have is that they're not going to sell tickets during a rebuild retool. Again, I'll stress there's not going to be a tear it down rebuild here, despite what, you know, a lot of people want. And, and I, and I actually agree with that tack. First of all, it's going to be tough to move a, uh, has been great. Don't get me wrong. It's not like it's going to be, it would be really hard to move his contract if you, if you wanted to, but you know, you'd have to eat up some of his salary for sure. But you know, the Huberto deal at this point in time is not movable. Right. Um, down the road, I think it can be, and I think he will get better. It's just obviously taking a long time to take here in Calgary, but he, uh, you know, this ownership group looks at Buffalo a lot and says, look at Buffalo. They've torn it down and tried to rebuild it a million times and it never works. Look at Ottawa. They'll say, look, they've, they keep tearing it down and trying to rebuild and it doesn't, they just can't get it to go. And so for every teardown and a team comes back five years later and wins a cup, you know, there, there are also a number of teams, more often than not, teams that can't quite get back into it. Look at the Oilers. Uh, and, and the Oilers are a great team right now, don't get me wrong, but for so many years spinning their wheels after, you know, tanking and then it's just not working. So mm-hmm. it's not happening in this city. You agree with me, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. it's not happening. So. So people can stop clamoring for it, unfortunately. It's just it's falling on deaf ears. And and Craig Conroy agrees with that, too. It's not just him kowtowing to ownership. Craig Conroy believes that it's absolutely detrimental to the organization, to any organization, to have a losing culture for a number of years. And I agree with him. These young guys right now, what what's the one thing that this team, I think, is, is their hallmark this year? I would say it's their work ethic. Yep. I would level, say it's hard the, work. They, they yep. never give up. 
Yeah. And, and sure you're going to lose three very hardworking core players moving forward, but the, the, the groundwork has been laid by this coach, by this organization, by all the guys who are going to remain here, that this is a team that works hard every single night. And so even if you got a, just a team full of youngsters, that work ethic will carry you through and win over a lot of fans who are paying good, hard money to come and watch this team, not mail it in. And I, so I'm okay with, with them trying to do, you know, the hybrid. It's going to be, it's not the same old hybrid retooling that we've seen over the last 30 years I've covered this team. It's going to be different because these three chips are bigger than any three that they've ever cashed in uh, at one time moving forward and and doing it with the eye of not uh, not just remaining competitive but you know building for the future well and when's the last time that they've been in this position it has to be the the lockout year of of 2013 right when Bomeister and Aginla got traded and 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 we know that with Jerome who we'll be talking about later on this hour we know that with Jerome there that it was uh, a, a number of years. Their hands were tied. A, their hands were tied, and and B, the time to trade them to maximize return was a few years prior. Um, and mm-hmm. and so with their hands tied, they didn't get the, the the most frustrating part was that the the pick that they used. With no disrespect to Morgan Klimchuk, it just it didn't work out. And the first round pick they got there didn't work. And and same with Jay Bomeister. Um, because that was Emil Poirier who they got. You know, that that was a really good opportunity to hit home runs specifically on Bowmeister with with guys who could could really help reshape and, and set you on a better path in the future. Uh, the, the Flames haven't been in a spot like this since then, and I would suggest with three assets in the situation, two of them being ones that are going to Bomeister was older than Hannafin, and and I think that you would have more than just contending teams that are going to be all over trying to acquire Hannafin between now and the deadline. And then you've got Lindholm, who's a, a center iceman that the teams are going to fall over themselves to try to bring in on their team. I think the opportunity here, to your point about it, not just being the, the same old hybrid, I, I think you're right. They, they have chips and, and the type of value with those trade chips that they you don't usually get in a situation like this. Yeah, it's true. I mean, they're they're much younger than those two guys you cited. Um, you know, and also Jerome, when he was traded, he he dictated the terms of the yeah, trade. He had a full no move. You know, there was only one team. Yeah, so they he said, I'm only going to one team. So work out the best deal possible. And when the other team knows that, <laughs> it sure diminishes your uh, your leverage. Or so you want this? You no, know, no, no. We're not going to give you that. No, we won't give you that. We'll give you this and this and anyway. So it, it doesn't matter. And 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 hey, I'm, that's certainly not a criticism of Jerome. He had that right. He earned that right Absolutely. as a Hall of Famer and as a great ambassador and leader of this organization. So, but it was just the way they were. These guys don't have that same leverage, and so, uh, so you know, the sky is the limit in terms of you know what you could probably possibly get to to fix all this. It's it's such an interesting question dilemma you know whatever you however you want to put it on when they should make the trade and it's my sense talking to craig and these guys 
It's my sense that they'll make the trade when the right deal comes along. There's no other timeline. Like if tomorrow someone comes up and says, okay, we finally have enough money in our piggy bank to pay for these guys. You're going to pay for half of Lindholm's salary. We're going to give you a first rounder. We're going to give you this prospect. We're going to give you this. Let's make the deal happen. The Flames would make the trade tomorrow. I really Mm -hmm. believe that. I don't think it's going to happen that way because every day you wait, you accrue more money to kind of pay for these guys. Uh, But what's your sense? Because my sense is it's still not going to happen for another three, four weeks at the earliest uh, a trade. But given the way the standings are starting to, uh, I'll say, unravel for the Calgary Flames, I mean, I think there's four teams between them and a playoff spot. Well, five teams now because the Oilers won last night and the Oilers have three games in hand and they're on fire and Arizona's winning games they shouldn't win and Nashville, you know, like... It's starting to look very obvious to me that the season, that they're not going to make the playoffs. I don't think that matters, though. I think it just matters that when a team steps up and finally starts talking seriously to the Flames about what the Flames are looking for, mm-hmm. that's when I think the wheels will be put in motion for a trade. Yeah, I, I think that's, trades. That, that's, that's, I, I think Craig is willing to wait this out until March 8th. I really do. Uh, that is exactly oh, yeah. the sense I get. And I, I think that we're talking about a situation where um, he's got a price. And, you know, come March 8th, maybe he might have to come down on that price a little bit. But until then, if you want if you want a little more time with Hannafin to try to see if you can re-sign him and try to integrate him, you better be willing to meet the price. Otherwise, he's fine letting Hannafin continue to play here. And, and same with the other two guys. So, no, I, I think that... They, they remain set on a price. I think the only time that they were a little willing to maybe, I don't want to say rush it, but a little willing to go a little quicker was with Zadorov because there were other factors involved that I truly believe they, they needed to make yep. that trade in an expedited fashion. Um, but otherwise, mm-hmm. Hannafin, Lindholm, Tanev, these guys are consummate teammates, consummate pros. They ain't a problem inside that room. They help you on and off the ice. And they're willing to have them as, as long as it takes to get the right deal. Won't it be interesting? I mean, Craig's you know, one of his great assets so far as the general manager, as you spoke of, is his uh, patience. Won't it be interesting to see just how patient and how nervy he could be if it really does go down to the final day with one or two of the players? Yeah. Because that that takes nerves of steel, especially as a rookie GM to worry about the possibility that, oh my gosh, if I don't make this trade with these guys right now with what they're offering, they may go and get that guy over there mm-hmm. or uh, or, I, or I may miss the boat or, you know, there's so many scenarios that would play out in your head. It's a pretty solid group that they've got with Dave Nonis and, uh, you know, and Don Maloney. These guys have all been through this ringer before and I think can add even extra stability and reassurance to Craig if he does start to get a little nervous or antsy, but he hasn't, he hasn't shown that yet. So I, I'm not worried about it, but boy, won't it be interesting to watch, see what he pulls out of his hat, when he pulls it out of his hat and how he pulls it out of his hat. Just before we pivot to the circle K classic to wrap up the Eric Francis hour, what uh, the text line has asked it multiple times since we've been talking. So I'll just quickly, and maybe we can spend more time on this next week on the Eric Francis hour, but uh What's your feel on the willingness of them to maybe explore a move for Jacob Markstrom? Is that something that could be, in your eyes, more of a discussion topic over the next few weeks and months here? 
Yeah. I I don't think it's I don't think it's impossible. I I you know, the no trade clause is not a significant impediment in my opinion because in today's NHL and again, I have not spoken to Jacob about this. He's not exactly very forthcoming with the <laughs> media. Uh no 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 nor would he be on something like this. Like no player would be. Yeah, so I, I'm sure. not blaming him. I'm just saying uh, but I'm you know, I think that when an organization goes to a guy and says, look, I, we know you've got this year and two more years left on your contract. Uh, we know you're happy here. You've got a young family here, but we want to trade you. you. You know that. And, 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 and there are guys who might just have the, the, the stones to just say, no, no, I'm sorry, but I've earned the right to stay here. I love it here. But boy, that, that sure makes it uncomfortable for the next couple of years. Right. Yeah. I mean, do you really want to be in an organization where, management's made it clear that they really would like to move on from you. I'm not saying the flames are there. I'm not saying that at all, because if they do still want to maintain a winning culture and have guys teaching young players, things Markstrom can teach Dustin Wolf, a lot of things. And so I I think that um, there's a lot of merit to keeping Jacob Markstrom here. I know everybody's tempted to just start cashing in on all these assets, these aging assets, and start, you know, starting anew. And of course, everybody wants Dustin Wolf to get that starting gig or at least a regular NHL gig here. But I, you know, uh, uh, it's a big step if Craig Conroy invites him into his office and says, listen, we're thinking about trading you. What would you think about that? Like that, once you've said those words, you can't take them back. Yep. And it alters your 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 uh, relationship moving forward. So it's a big gamble. Uh, I do think that nine times out of ten, a player will move if you just basically tell them you'd like to move them. Um, but um, I don't think they're there yet. I still think they want to keep winning hockey games this year, next year. And I think he'd be great at grooming Wolf. Like you tell me, you trade Markstrom next week, say, and I'm that's not going to happen. But if just say you did trade him this year. You want to go in with Vladar and Wolf next year? Like, I'm, I'm not saying that's a, a horrible idea, but I don't think that that accomplishes the goal you're hoping in terms of continued development and teaching of a young player like Wolf. Hey, Vladar's a, a pro. He's learned a lot from Markstrom and other guys in Boston over the years. He could probably help teach Wolf as well. But I just don't think that that's the tandem you want to go with moving forward. Do you? Like, where do you stand on all this? Because I have heard everyone's talking about it in the city. Well, and I think you you think it's time to trade him. The reason why is because I think that there is at least one team that I think would be interested in bringing him in. I I don't think that this New Jersey smoke is is out of nowhere. The Devils feel like they can win, and they don't feel like they can win with their current goaltending. So I, I think that that is why. I give it a little bit more credence because I do think there's a realistic option for them. Uh, but to your point, I still think that it's more of an off-season conversation. And I also think you, you would have to be careful in that respect. What, what it would do is give you the option to have two young goaltenders, maybe see what they're all about, to give you a little bit more information about what you're going to be in a year or two's time and give you a little bit more intel in terms of how you want to approach that position for maybe when you plan on on getting to a higher level. The only other thing that I worry, not worry is the wrong word, but wonder about is what type of appetite does Jacob have for being part of a team 
that maybe does take a step back, a slight step back competitiveness-wise. Is he okay with that? That's the only thing that I wonder a little about, too. And that's why you need you, you don't tra- I don't trade them before March. You need to see how this team looks after yeah, March. Yeah. I mean, who knows? For sure. You'll keep one of those veterans. And, 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 and only then and after then, at the end of this season, is the only time when I think you start to consider the possibility. I don't trade Markstrom this year. There's no question in my mind. You don't. Um, now again, there are going to be teams clamoring for, for goaltending. It's pretty obvious. Some of the, some of the, uh, cities that need goaltending and would be willing to pay for it. That's a pretty hefty price tag. That's more of an off season trade in my opinion, uh, because of how much money is at stake there. And, and that also gives the goal, the player time to assess, boy, are we going to stink for the next several years? And do I want to be part of this or boy, I think there's still a lot of reason for optimism in this young market, in this young team. And also gives you time to talk to your wife and your young family and say, hey, um, maybe we would trade, maybe we would move, maybe we want to move, or maybe we would agree to move if they asked us. These are all questions that I don't think you want to throw at a guy in the middle of a season, season. whether you're in a playoff race or not, right? Well said. Uh, Okay, we got to get out of here. Let's uh, pivot to the Circle K. Uh, We'll do that as we continue on the Eric Francis Hour brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta. The Alberta horse racing and breeding industry has an $83 million positive economic impact in Calgary annually. Visit thehorses.com, 18 plus. Please play responsibly. Flamestock is on the air and streaming on the Sportsnet mobile app. Sportsnet 960 The Fan, Calgary. Okay, Eric Francis Hour continues. Eric Francis of Sportsnet. Pat Steinberg along with you on this hour of Flamestock. We said at the beginning of the hour, I, I have not seen Eric anywhere. I don't, I don't know where... I don't know where Eric Francis is. I'm at practice. I'm, I'm looking for him. He's one of my anchors to make me feel normal. He's nowhere to be found. <laughs> uh, he's been at Max Bell, not at the Scotiabank Saddledome. You, uh, you know, you were at the game on Wednesday against Seattle, but uh, you've been watching a lot of. You're doing your best, Peter Labardius. You are uh, just camping out at the Max Bell Center and watching some Circle K Classic action. It's funny. I I actually texted Lou and just said like. I don't think you're here. Are you at the world championships? Are you here? Where are you? I, I, my inner Lubardius is, is itching to be scratched. I need you to help me because every year I'd run into him at the max and I'll continue to call it the max. I'm sorry, but the circle K classic, whatever. And, and he's always the guy. That? That, why did they have to, why, why did that? The, well, it it's, was, it's Couché it Tard in, in Quebec. They decided to change all of our beloved max to circle K. It still hurts me. Well, it's better than the Couch Tard classic. I wouldn't be <laughs> saying that out loud. But anyway, it's 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 the re- I I love it. My son loves to go watch. He's 13. He just loves watching it and I love going there. You run at all sorts of people in great conversations and and uh you know, we should be damn proud of it. it you know, in the world, that's Absolutely. the the best U18 tournament in the world and it's renowned and it's important that we continue to beat the drum on it, I think in the media because um, it is that good a tournament, and it deserves our praise and our coverage. And uh, unfortunately, with you know, there, there aren't many media members left. Uh, period. Um, and so that I I I want to go out there and tell the stories. And so I I got out cha- out there this week and got a chance to tell the stories of two guys who I would say are, were probably the two biggest selling points of the tournament this week. 
And, uh, hey, the hockey sells itself, don't get me wrong, but a lot of people, the parking lot's been full at Max Bell all week long. you got to create your own parking spot there. It's quite uh, interesting. <laughs> it's like a big, giant game of Tetris. And, uh, and, and, and it's great to see. But uh, Jerome McGinley coming to town, that, that sells a lot of tickets. People are excited to see Jerome. Uh, it's funny, there's a whole bunch of fans just sitting above him uh, in Max Bell two arena there and, and taking photos of the back of his head. And, you know, as he's sitting there coaching his kid, his kids there and his name bars, getting everybody to take photos. And Joe Aginla is a talent. You know, he's, he's the real deal. This kid is, uh, and what a personality on him, man. I, I really enjoyed talking to him. He's, he's funny. He's engaging. Uh, you know, I don't need to tell you to remember that name because you're going to remember the Aginla name and Joe Aginla his 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 brother Tej is also a real stud and what's interesting is when Joe finishes this tournament with uh, the the team that his father is coaching he's going to be called up next week to play for the Oil Kings uh, he already played two games up on emergency so he still has five that he can play as a 15 year old in in that league and he's going to get called up next week and on the 5th in Kelowna he's going to play against his brother which huh. is really cool. That's awesome. And mom will be there and dad will be there. And I just think what a neat moment for all of them. Um, but, you know, Joe, one of the first things he said to me is, you know, I said, you know, describe yourself as a player. And he says, I don't, I never really saw my dad play. I only saw him when he was in Colorado, when he wasn't at his prime. But from what I understand, I think I'm a lot like my dad. I like to score. I like to shoot. I'm a right winger. I shoot right-handed. Um, I said, do you have the ruggedness? Cause with that name again on the back, he gets targeted a lot, right? Every guy in the league wants to run him and right. say, hey, I, I knocked him on his keister. And we saw that. I've seen that throughout this tournament. The uh, guy's taking runs at him. He's tough. He says, I pride myself on getting up every time. I don't want to stay down on the ice. I was, you know, a couple of the hits really rocked him. One was a headshot that took a double minor, and uh, he still just bounced right back up. So, But I said, you got the ruggedness of your dad. He fought 76 times in the NHL. And he said, uh, my dad's going to teach me how to fight next summer. I'm really excited about it. <laughs> he's 50 years old. He's already excited about learning a few things about fighting. And Jerome said, hey, same with me. Both of us. And and T Joe Aginla does not take penalties. He's only had two all year this okay. year. And, uh, and Jerome said, hey, when I was a kid, I didn't like taking penalties either because it meant I couldn't be on the ice. And I just wanted to be on the ice scoring goals. So maybe that switch will be flipped when he gets to the dub but he's not a huge kid and i'm not suggesting he's going to be a fighter at all but as jerome said i you know you got to teach these kids the basics a guy named chris murray taught jerome when he got to cam loops just how to handle himself just the basics and joe said he's looking to get into a couple fights next year just to, <laughs> just to see how it is i'm like oh no and dad kind of rolled his eyes too he's not thrilled to hear that <laughs> either but uh really good young player and a real talent. But the kid who's the, the highlight of the tournament, and he had a huge game today, is playing for Edge. He's right in our city. He's a Calgarian. You're going to hear this name a lot because I think he's going to have a big, long, real big, long, great NHL career. And that's a lot to say about a 14-year-old kid who's in grade nine. Only one year ago, he started hitting, Okay. Like, my kid's 13. He's in his first year of contact. Like, that's a big adjustment. In his second year of contact, he's now playing with 17- and 18-year-olds for the EDGE U18 program. He's not only leading them in points as a defenseman, he's like 11 points ahead of the next guy. He's got a goal a game pretty much this year. Uh, I think like 33 points in 16 games, 13 goals. 
The guy's a defenseman and controls the entire game. It is amazing to watch. He's 14 years of age. His, his name, sorry, I didn't even say his name. Landon, Landon DuPont. DuPont. His, his father was Mickey DuPont, a, a late draft pick of the Flames in 2000. And Mickey was a hell of a defenseman, had a great career overseas, played a couple dozen games in the NHL, was, was undersized at a time when you couldn't be an undersized defenseman. If Mickey played right now, he'd be dominating like a Quinn Hughes sort of thing. He's that talented. Um, and he's taught his kids. Both of them are really talented young players. Uh, the other one's playing in Blackfalls, and he's hurt right now. But uh, this kid is going to be given exceptional status. And I don't know if people understand the ramifications or what that even means, but only seven players in the history of our country have been given exceptional status, which means basically that the Western Hockey League would have to rule on whether or not they think this kid is capable of playing full-time in the league at age 15. And you know the list, Pat. The list of guys who've been given exceptional oh, status. Yeah. Only one guy in Western Hockey League history got it, and it was Connor Bedard. Yeah, the, the rookie of the year Connor this year. McDavid. Yeah, like he's a pretty good player. <laughs> Connor Bedard's also on that list. John Tavares, Shane Wright. Like it's, you know, they don't take this lightly. They don't just hand this out. He's really got to earn it. So, you know, whether or not he gets it, I, I'd be stunned if he didn't get it because this kid is the real deal. It is an absolute pleasure to watch. He's, he's one of the best skaters I've ever seen uh, at his age, especially uh, his coach at the edge said, I've been in this, you know, he's been coaching for 15 years at this kind of level. And he said, I've never seen a player like this. I've seen Connor Bedard, but I, I never seen a player like this. He's special, special player. So anyway, you can, I, I almost sound like Labardius right now yeah. uh, <laughs> in terms of you, you can hear my excitement for these young players. And I'm not generally a guy who follows prospects um, or the or the or junior hockey, but to see this kid and to know that he's a Calgarian and to know that there's going to be a spotlight on him like like Makar had, and that's the comparison everyone's making. I watched them today. They won nine one, and against Team Hungary, um, he had two goals. Uh, he's got a point in every single game he's played this year. He must have had eight or nine shots on goal today. Like he just absolutely, and he's a right shot defenseman. It's four years away. I was talking to Craig Conroy about him the other day. It's four years away, and there's already talk that he's going to be, you know, the first overall pick or like a top five or ten pick mm -hmm. in four years from now, which is absolutely insane. And it's way too much pressure to put on a kid like that. But I'm telling you, if you get a chance, people will obviously go out to the Circle K Classic. He's going to play tomorrow in the semifinals uh, in the A division. And, uh, and and then make sure you get out to the edge and go watch this kid play. There's a ton of talented kids on kids on that team. It's great hockey. It's a great program. And I promise you, you'll walk away going, wow, that is going to be a superstar. And that's the quote from the coach. This is a superstar in the making. Have a wonderful New Year, my friend. I'll see you on Sunday, of course. But uh, on the air, I wish you a happy New Year. Great stuff, Francis, as always. Eric Francis is on Twitter, at Eric Francis. Be well. We'll, uh, we'll do it again next week, which will also be our first Eric Francis hour of 2024. I look forward to hearing about your New Year's resolutions, my friend, and if they're even still intact by uh, a week into next year. Not even. I haven't made one in so long because I can never keep Oh, okay. One, so... Probably not. Yeah, it's a waste of time. <laughs> Bye -bye. None? I don't, I don't think I made okay. any last year because I'm so bad at keeping them. You? Well, more leg days. I think you, you, every year you say more leg days. And, and you I never, never follow, follow through. Follow through. Still it's the same obvious. old twigs. <laughs>
I'm like Johnny <laughs> Drama. I there. still need those calf implants. If anybody's got a uh, if anybody's got a line on calf implants, you tell me, and I'll be first in line. <laughs> Would our health plan at Rogers cover that? Do you think is that is that cosmetic, or could I uh, come up with a health reason for that? Yeah. Uh, good luck with that. <laughs> Bye, Happy New Year, my friend. Happy New Year. See you Sunday. Uh, he's Eric Francis on Twitter at Eric Francis. And uh, that'll wrap us up on the final Eric Francis hour of 2023. And uh, as we uh, wrap things up this hour, I want to say thanks for all this year to our uh, outstanding presenter of the Eric Francis hour. And that, of course, is the fine folks at Horse Racing Alberta. The Alberta horse racing and breeding industry cares for their horses, employs Albertans, and contributes to the economy. Visit the horses.com 18 plus please play responsibly.